Hello. Welcome to the Grace Rancho weekly podcast, where our goal is to help you, our church members, better understand the what and the why behind all we do here as a church. I'm here with Pastor Eric. My name is Michael. One of your best introductions yet. Well Thank done. Thank you. Thank you. So different than how I usually do it. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Good. Um, we are talking today about something, I don't know if we talk about it a whole lot, but it's something that um, we talk we prior- about it more you than and I do. any of our listeners probably do. Yeah. Yeah. Not many people talk about it. We as a church prioritize it and we mentioned it two weeks ago uh, yeah. in our last podcast. We're talking today about why we have one service and aim and hope and plan to have one service for the duration of Grace Rancho into eternity. <laughs> Grace Rancho won't last for all eternity. No, it won't. But until we would love to have one service. Yeah, we, we would there hope we that it has one service. Let's talk about that. Why, why not? All sorts of stuff. It is one of those issues that most people um, don't really think uh, it's very important. Yeah. It, okay, one, two, three, seven, Saturday, yep. Monday morning service, who cares? You know, as long as we're uh, we're singing songs and listening to a sermon, mm-hmm. um, you could do church however you want. Yeah, so if that's you, listen in, because we actually think that this is a really important thing for our church to consider, um, and that's why we've done it the way we're doing it. So why do we talk about this? Is this really important? It's imp- we've kind of said yes. We, we need to clarify that, though, because we don't want it to, we don't want people to think that this is the mark of holiness or this is some standard of, uh, like, like if you have one service, you, you take the Bible seriously and everyone who doesn't, every, every person that t- has two or more services, they really are not serious about the Bible. Uh, that is, that's not what we say. So, um, we would not put this in the level of conviction in the sense that we ha- are convicted that Jesus Christ is God. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also would not say that this is just some opinion that we have. We put this in the uh, place of we are persuaded that this is the best way based on our understanding of the biblical evidence. Gotcha. So we look at the Bible and we say based off what we see about a church and what so it forth, is, what, what it, is, it does, what it does uh, how it's described, how it's meant to operate even. We would say um, it makes most sense to meet once a week as a corporate body and okay. we do that on sunday mornings not a salvation issue not a make you a christian or not issue we we both came from churches that have multiple services and we love yeah and we love um we worked on staff at those churches we love those churches john we macarthur john piper i mean you could go down the the line and, and list of some all of the our Johns. heroes that did multiple do have done uh multiple services jonathan edwards doubt i'm it. making things up doubt it. um yeah, this isn't that sort of issue um, where we say, no, you're not faithful, you're not doing it right. No, no, this is, like you said, a persuasion. There's no verse in scripture that says, gather in 
this one service, it's not that clear, but we think it's clear nonetheless. And, and we're talking about the other thing. I, I do think when people hear us saying we want to stay to one service, they, they probably think, oh, well, they just like one service. They just like all being together. It's less complex. Maybe logistics are a bit easier when you have one service. You know, what would we do if we had to? Um, but it is more than that. It's, it's not just a mere, like I happen to prefer this method. We do have biblical reasons for this. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into yeah. those right now. Say, yeah, let's get into those right now. Okay. Um, but one of the other reasons, actually, I'm sorry, why we're talking about this is space issues often drive churches to multiple services. And we're meeting outside right now, but if we met inside, we would have big time space issues. We would not all fit in the sanctuary most Sundays. Yeah. And so the typical thing someone says is, well, add a second service. Yeah, just Man, go two services. Your church is succeeding. You now you've got two services, three services. We've got five services over the course of. And weekend. typically, those those people who are saying that have a really good intention. Yep. Like really good heart for the lost. They have a heart for evangelism, and they want and to, to see more people, people saved. Possible. Yeah, they want to have more room. Why stop? Uh, why cap it? Why would you allow the, the reach of your gospel ministry to be capped by the number of people who can fit in your building? And so I affirm those people and their desires, but I, I do think that is a short-sighted solution. And it, if we have a longer-term perspective on what the church is and what it does, um, I think one service actually aids evangelism. I totally agree. And um, let's move into these biblical reasons. All right. That was a long intro. We're, reason number one, the word ecclesia, which is translated in English in the Bible, church, means assembly. Correct. Expound wow. on that. Are you a Greek scholar? I'm currently taking my fourth Greek class. <laughs> I'm by no means a scholar. Okay. So ecclesia but I did means learn assembly. <laughs> so... Okay, so the very word church, every time you read it in the New Testament, you're, you're seeing a word in Greek that's ekklesia, called mm-hmm. out ones. The word is also used in, in extra biblical literature. That is, is. That is um, you know, Greek, first century Greek writings that were not part of scripture to describe gatherings like, you know, gatherings. Political gatherings. Poli- yeah, political gatherings, an assembly. The word is referring to an assembly. Okay. A gathering, an assembly. A gathering. So, so the question that we have to ask ourselves when we're thinking about the meaning of the word church, if you decide to go to two services, that means that you have half of the people or a portion of the people who go to service one and the rest of the portion that go to service two. And that means you have an assembly that never fully assembles. You have a church that never fully gathers. Mm-hmm. So if half of your members are in service one, half of them are in service two, they're never all together at the same time in the same place. Therefore, they never actually assemble. Therefore, in what sense are they actually an assembly? Yep. And so what we're talking about here is etymology, an etymological argument, which is what is this word in its base form how did this word come to be? What does it mean in and of itself? Yeah, and so we would say the word itself means a gathering. It doesn't mean gatherings. 
And we would even go far as to say, we think two services are two separate churches because a church be, because they're doing what a church does at two separate times with two separate groups of people. Yeah, I think that'll become more clear when we describe why. Yep. And all okay. the rest of the stuff. But so so we would on that point though, before going to two services, we would plant a, a we would have a church plant at nine a.m. and a church plant at eleven a.m. <laughs> we would, we would do that before we went to Grace Ranch were having two services. Though that's not highly likely in and of itself. That won't that won't that won't happen either. But that would happen first because it'd be and more. And we would be clear about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, if it means assembly, okay. So one of we, the oppositions in Acts, we see all these people getting saved. Like how many? Like three thousand or something, right? Well, three thousand right off the bat. But then right? when you keep adding up the numbers, so it gets up like twenty thousand. In one city, Jerusalem, three thousand. Yeah. There's this church. Yeah. And you're telling me that three thousand people gathered no it's more than three thousand more it, than three thousand it gets up to close to twenty thousand if you keep adding the numbers up gathered at the same time yeah in the same place on the lord's day so here's here's what the scholars do they go that couldn't possibly be true because it's such a big number it just most likely that they didn't all gather together not sports fans never seen a football game oh <laughs> <sighs> uh, um and then you actually, if you, you pay attention and then you read Acts closely, you realize there are hints and clues all along that they actually did all gather together in the same place at the same time. So here's some passages, Acts 2, 42. Uh, they, this is referring to the people who just got saved, the 3,000 after Peter's preaching, they were saved, they were baptized. It says they were added to the church that day, about 3,000 souls. And then it has that great passage in Acts 2, 42 to 47, where it's describing their fellowship. But one of the things that's said in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Um, and so they are the whole church, the thousands of people are mm-hmm. all together and they're living life together in a kind of beautiful Christian fellowship, the kind that we want to emulate. Then you go to Acts chapter four, verse 32, which is another one of those segments where um, Luke is describing the early church and their the beautiful fellowship that they enjoy. And it says in verse 32, now the full number, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any one of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So it's describing all of them sharing all their stuff, uh, not because it was enforced communism, but because there was this radical generosity that was pervading the hearts and minds of the church. They were listening to the apostles' powerful preaching in verse 33. They were sharing with one another, laying down their their gifts at the apostles' feet. This is in the context of what they were doing as a, as a gathered church. Yes, this is what the gathered church does, is what they look like. And then to, to you know the, other, the sandwich, the other side of it, um, is in chapter 5 then, in verse 11, it says, great fear came upon the whole church. And that's important to know because he's talking about the church and then he goes down in the in the next very next verse. He says, "And they Acts five twelve, five, yeah five twelve, and they referring back to the church were all together in Solomon's portico, all together in Solomon's portico, and none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, uh, multitudes of both men and women." So. It's just this church is exploding in size 
but you keep getting these hints that they actually do all gather together. Um, and that's why they gather in, in the temple because it, it could actually hold mm. that many people. Yeah. And in Solomon's portico, now you go to chapter six. Yep. Verse two, this is when they're- You have another example? Oh, they, they keep coming. They are coming. The 12, the 12 disciples, it says summoned the full number of the disciples. So the 12 disciples summoned the full number of the disciples. That Who's that? That's the whole church. Mm-hmm. And said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That was almost like the first members meeting. What? When they summoned all the full number of them. Yeah. And, and, right. they, and they appointed proto-deacons. Yeah, they did. They, they got everyone it's together. It's a members said, meeting in the Bible. Hey, we got to figure this out. And they, they, <laughs> made a, they made a plan. Okay, so all that is to say... The word ecclesia means gathering or assembly, and it's used in a singular fashion. And to prove that they did all actually all gather together, even though they were such a big number, is there through the book of Acts. Yep. It's, It's demonstrated clearly, explicitly. Absolutely. Reason number two. We just talked about the word ecclesia, how in and of itself it talks about a gathering, and when we see it used in terms of the local church, it's singular. Then... Second, a church is commanded to care for each other, right? Think about the one another's. Yeah. So what are some of those one another's that come to mind? Um, you need to speak the truth to one another, bear one another's burdens, sing to one another, pray for one another. Um, pray together. Pray together even, yes. Um, uh, for and too. the church cares for one another's souls. Yeah. These when, are all things to be done together. Like we do this when we gather. Mm-hmm. So so the question then that we ask is, okay, Michael, you go to the 11 o'clock service, but Jojo goes to the 9 a.m. service and Bob goes to the Saturday night service. If, and, we, if that is our regular pattern, yeah. we never act as a church together because a church is first and foremost it's the people right Right. but it manifests itself in the gathering yeah and so if we're doing separate gatherings and you and i are always at different gatherings we never act as a church together we might interact with one another during the week but it's like and we've this is in a book we've both read the analogy you wouldn't call a basketball team a team if they only practice together but they never played a game together yeah. Well, they're, they're not really a team. It's like, it's not a church if you don't do all these things together each week. Yeah, they didn't do them together. They did them all in different places, different times. Um, and so in what sense can I hold you, Michael, accountable to care for the soul of Bob and the soul of Jojo? Um, I can't because you're not, you don't even know them. And so there's a kind of structural disunity that occurs if we, if we divide the church according to time and place. And even if you said, well, we have 30 minutes of fellowship, socializing in between so people can do some of this together. Yeah. You still do some things that we're about to talk about separately from one another in those services. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about communion then. Yep. Lord's Supper. The ordinances. The ordinances. Particularly communion though, because it's clear that the communion is to be taken uh, together with the whole church. By, and, and let me just, Michael and I are both flipping in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. 
And if you look at verse 17, he starts giving instructions for the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper. And he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together. So, so every time, if you're going to study uh, communion or Lord's Supper, read 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 33 and mark every time um, the phrase when you come together appears. Mm. So when you come together, it's not for the better, for, but for the worst. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it in part. And then you go down to verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. And then he goes on to describe what they're doing wrong and everything that's that's uh, messed up with the way they're taking communion. He describes the right way to do it. Um, down to verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. In other words, it's very obvious that Paul's intention for the Lord's Supper, as he instructed Corinth, the church in Corinth, was that they do it when together. they come together. So, okay. And he's talking to the entire Corinth church there, and he's not talking about when you come together in separate instances. He seems to be addressing no. everybody and saying, all of you together. Yes. Yes, he is. He's talking about all when they come together, which natural meaning is when they come together. <laughs> um in the corporate worship. Now, here's one of the, the ways that kind of the, we, we really make a big deal about the spiritual meaning of communion, the, the memory of Christ's death and uh, the way that that ministers to us. And, and we should, but we forget about the very physical aspects of communion, that we are eating something and mm -hmm. drinking something and geography matters where we are matters because according to first corinthians 10 there's something actually happening when we take communion verse 17 10 17 says because there is one bread we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread so here's here's the thing communion symbolizes unity and it creates that which it symbolizes it creates the unity that it points to. Mm -hmm. So the actual physical act of a church being together, looking at each other, looking at these elements, eating and drinking after hearing the preached word or before pre hearing the preached word of the gospel, you do that together. That is, the, uh, that is what a church does to yep. churchify them. <laughs> it makes us a church. <laughs> and... And I am actually meant to do that with you, physically yeah. with you. I can't be so spiritually minded that I forget the physical realities that I'm meant to see you. And actual, you know, in person, it's not a virtual event. It's not some, so this is why um, we all have to do it together in one mm -hmm. place. Because we're looking around when we take communion. Yeah, as we partake in the body and blood of Christ, we're unified as we do it together. Yeah. All right, last reason, the polity of the church. What did you Meaning, say? What was that word? I said the polity. The, the who? The polity of the church. How do you spell that? P-O-L-I-T-Y. My mom. Who oh, is, okay, I'm like sitting here, Eric. Who is please a, don't tell me it's who is said a, a different way. You'd word be so wrong. Smith and a, um, has a, a pretty Should vast vocabulary. 
did not know that word when I first said it to her. Oh. Well, okay. And I thought you were saying this so that I could clarify what it is. How your church is run, you could say. Church government. Yeah. Government, organization. Yeah. How we organize, structure ourselves as a church. And how we believe scripture calls us to. Yeah. So some there are some lines of thinking that basically say that the, the Bible gives no clear directions for church government. And so a church can govern itself however they like, whatever they prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they want a pastor with no elders, we'll go for it. If they want to have no elders and just do pure democracy, member rule. Someone who so, feels like they have a word from God stands up each week and yeah, preaches. They, they feel like, well, the Bible doesn't give us any clarity on how to. And so we're just going to um, just do it however we like. We, we would not be there. We would actually say that the New Testament provides a church gov- a form of church government. Mm-hmm. And we would call it elder-led congregationalism. Yeah. Yeah. And and there and the congregationalism part of that means that we believe that the congregational has a lot of responsibility. Congregational or the congregation? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anymore. The congregation has a ton of responsibility for each other. Now, here's the question we ask, going back to the one service question. Okay, if we are sitting here saying that we believe the New Testament gives responsibility to church members to care for one another's souls, Mm -hmm. to discipline one another per Matthew 18, if necessary, to encourage one another, sing to one another, pray, all those ones we mentioned, to take communion together. If we believe those are are given to us and mandated by the Lord himself. Mm-hmm. He is the head of the church. He tells us to do this. Then we inhibit our church mem- members ability to fulfill those obligations. If we divide them from other church yeah. members. And if you add a second service or a satellite location, all of the sudden church members probably unwillingly have said, I don't need to do this with the fellow members I've committed to, not all of them at least. And so they almost take some of their God-given responsibility and hand it over to the elders. Correct. It's an abdication of authority. Yeah. So if, again, let's say Bob is at first service and Jojo is at second service and and they never, don't see each other. And here we are as leaders trying to tell them about their responsibility. But if, if they never gather, you're right. He says, he thinks... Bob thinks that, well, it's the elder's responsibility to do that. Well, yeah, the elder should lead. But what you're saying is they are, uh, they're not told to, but it's kind of implicit that he can't really and doesn't really have to care for that person Mm -hmm. in in the gathering itself. He doesn't have to do that. You don't have to do the things that a church gathers, does when they gather with that guy. You just have to do it with the people that are there when you're there because it's convenient. And what happens then is the things that a church is called to do as a whole do not unite the church rather people up front unite the church yeah and that's not what a church gathering is it's not the people up front doing things it's all of us participating yeah because what's the what's the common factor between service one and service two it's the that guy up eric front. preached and michael sang yeah and so they become the church and you don't feel as much the the idea of we are the church. We all are the church. What the church will be is what we will make it. And we need to be faithful and take we take responsibility for that. Okay, so let's talk about what does one service do? What are the positives? 
Um, it reminds us that we are responsible for our other church members. So every time you, you come to church, you know that so-and-so should be there because they're a member. You can look for them. You yep. remember you're responsible for that person. You look around. If the they're not there, with. if they're not there, it's not like they went to some other service. They're not there. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. What else? Um, on the flip side, it helps us identify who the visitors are. Like, you know, you see the same people every time, but then yep. when someone shows up and you don't recognize them, you know who they are. I, I think that makes for a powerful, um, uh, it makes a powerful opportunity for hospitality and, and welcoming because mm -hmm. people will swarm the newcomer. Yeah, I agree. It also is a form of structural unity. Yeah. We're all doing this together. We're all here together. We heard that sermon together. We sang those songs together. We prayed that prayer together. Mm -hmm. um, I like. I heard that. It convicted me. I know you heard we that too. We did the exact same thing today. And, and we can talk about that moment together afterwards because I know you were there and you know I was there. And guess what? You can hold me accountable to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try to hold you accountable to that because we were sitting next to each other you know, or, yeah. or we were looking at each other when we sang those song, those words. Um, and then last, I think this is an important one. I think I, I hinted at it that sometimes the objection to just a one service commitment is that we're not evangelistic. Like you should be more evangelistically minded. That way you'd reach more people if you opened up a second service. We, we actually think that we create a powerful um, apologetic for the gospel by, by our unity, that the way we love one another is a powerful evidence of the reality of the gospel. I mean, that's what John 17 yep. explains in Jesus's prayer that our unity together, our love for one another is evidence mm -hmm. of the reality of the gospel. And so a one service model actually ends up being a evangelistic because it's showing in flesh and blood what love looks like what commitment looks like what forgiveness looks like what friend what friendship looks like mm -hmm. and so i think the world's starving for those things and then they see it in a church and they say hey what do you believe because i want that like what do you have and 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 there could be a, a church that preaches the gospel but the church body doesn't experience those things and it can undermine the gospel. So I think our one service model that creates depth of fellowship and community ends up um, promoting long-term evangelism. Yeah, I agree. Very true. Like evangelism that will, um, that will last years and years and, and Lord willing decades into the future uh, because it's consisting of ever growing Christians as they follow Christ and, mm -hmm. and love one another. So thanks for joining us, joining us this week. Uh, if you've got any questions on this, we weren't clear on anything. Email the church, ask us if you want, ask us when you see us in person um, or maybe an elder of the church and they can help clarify some things for you. We hope to see you soon.